Hello, everybody. Jason here, Zion ID. Uh, Today's podcast is titled The Trigger. The trigger for events leading up to the second coming. A lot of people wonder, you know, is it going to be a big earthquake? Is it going to be a volcano? What's it going to be that shakes the earth and kind of ushers in the three woes that are discussed in the book of Revelation? Um, Well, people have been wondering this for a long time. It's not just a modern anxiety. Uh, Even back when Jesus was alive, um, in the book of Luke, chapter 21, it says, And then his disciples asked him, saying, Master, tell us concerning thy coming. And he answered them and said, In the generation in which the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled, There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, like the sea and the waves roaring. The earth also shall be troubled, for the waters of the great deep, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken." Um, After Jesus' resurrection in Jerusalem, he came and ministered among his other sheep, uh, the Nephites. And he gave a similar prophecy that's recorded in 3 Nephi chapter 16. And it says, At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel, and shall, and this is an important part, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lyings and of deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and whoredoms and of secret abominations. And if they shall do all those things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. In other words, He will cause it to separate from the people. And then will I remember my covenant, which I have made unto my people, O house of Israel. And I will bring my gospel unto them. And I will show unto thee, O house of Israel, that the Gentiles shall not have power over you. But I will remember my covenant unto you, O house of Israel. And ye shall come unto the knowledge of the fullness of my gospel. Um, So concerning a trigger for the ushering in of events leading up to the second coming um, after, you know, a time of silence in heaven. um, In 3 Nephi, it says that the Lord will bring the fullness of the gospel from among the Gentiles. He talks about, you know, this generation in which the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. Well, there's further light and knowledge in Revelation chapter 12. And when John wrote this of his vision, he actually gets pretty specific. Um, And then Joseph Smith actually retranslated in the JST version. So I'll quote from that JST, Revelation chapter 12. Um, The chapter begins with John's vision of a woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. So what does this mean? Um, According to Doctrine and Covenants, section 5, verse 14, this woman represents the church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's the restored gospel. It's the temple covenants. Um, 
And then in verse 2, John describes that this woman, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is, becomes pregnant with a man-child. This man-child represents Zion, an institution that will rule all nations with a rod of iron, or in other words, with the Word of God. And you can see our previous Zion ID podcast called The Word uh, for a lot of information about what it means to govern um, with the Word of God. So it's interesting to note that the Church of Jesus Christ and all of her fruits, right, all of the fruits of this woman, um, literally births Zion. So it births a city, a people of one heart and one mind um, who dwells in righteousness with no poor among them. In verse 4, and, and, and I, would, I would suggest that, that this birthing of Zion is what Jesus was talking about in 3 Nephi when he's talking about when the Gentiles reject a fullness of my gospel. Well, they reject the principles of Zion. So in verse 4, John describes the devil being ready to devour this man-child, or Zion, uh, right after it was born. And, you know, in some ways, you know, that could be us right now, you know. All of us represent the fruits. We are the root of Jesse. Um, we represent the fruits of hundreds of years of sacrifice by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're working to establish Zion in its infancy. Well, the devil will send his servants, if he hasn't already, into the world from Babylon to try and stop us, you know, via whatever means necessary. Um, Thankfully, in verse 5, it says that Zion was able to escape um, the trappings of the devil and that Zion fled into the wilderness and was fed there for three and a half years. Verse 7, so again, that's the separation, right? So God takes the fullness of his gospel from the world. Um, Let's see, where are we at here? So yeah, verse 7 affirms the devil will not prevail against the church, will not prevail against Zion, and the man-child is able to overcome the devil through Jesus' atonement, through obedience to the word. And in verse 11, it further states that uh, the people of Zion, they loved not their own lives, meaning this people were willing to leave everything behind and sacrifice their own lives to flee into the wilderness for a season. Um, This combination of Zion seeking refuge in the wilderness and Zion's ability to overcome the devil's attacks leaves the devil with, and this is a quote, direct quote from verse 12, great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Verse 16 emphasizes that the earth will help Zion during its time in the wilderness. As a result of Zion's fleeing into the wilderness, the devil is wroth and made war with the remnant of her seed in what triggers the first of three woes upon the inhabitants of the earth prior to the second coming. So 
Zion's departure into the wilderness is the key trigger along the timeline of second coming events. Those who are compelled to escape into the wilderness and do not heed the command will be left to suffer untold trials among the residue of men. Neil A. Maxwell said, when in God's infinite wisdom, he chooses to both prepare and preserve a people, the righteous are withdrawn. And then things become much worse among the residue of people who remain. Do not be vexed by the city apart. In the, it, it, in the wisdom of the Almighty, such separation is sometimes necessary for a season to prepare or preserve a people. Those who bemoan or belittle separation should first ponder their own separation from God. It can be a blessing when men separate you from their company, for their reproaching of you is not friendship lost, but opportunity gained to see them in their true character. You would not criticize a group of people who sought for high ground in the midst of a flood. You would not see their presence in one place as an unintelligent act, for they came together in order to be saved. So it is in Zion. This people must be separated, for the laws of men would have been used to vex and to try Zion sorely. Um, a few interesting footnotes. Um, cross-references from all of this information in Revelation chapter 12. Um, so specifically in verses 13 through 17, it describes the persecutions that are going to be implemented by the devil against the woman, which constitute the three woes prior to the second coming. Well, footnotes on these verses supplement the doctrine with explanations from Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 and Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, which are very famous verses because they describe this three-and-a-half-year period known as the abomination of desolation. So escape into the wilderness in order to avoid persecution um, is actually not anything new. It has long been a necessary act in response to Satan's attempts throughout time to thwart foreordained action. Um, Lehi took his family out of Jerusalem in order to avoid destruction. The apostles and other, and other Judean you know, refugees left Jerusalem following Jesus' crucifixion because the environment was too corrupt. Uh, William Tyndale had to translate the Bible while in hiding. Um, Joseph Smith didn't necessarily escape to the wilderness, but he was arrested more than 40 times. And on numerous occasions, even Jesus himself was forced to flee in order to seek physical protection and avoid arrest. Um, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, it describes when the young baby Jesus um, with his parents escaped into Egypt in order to seek refuge that was likely provided by Joseph of Arimathea. The verse says, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. John chapter 10, verse 39 and 40 says, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized and there he abode. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. 
But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. John chapter 7, verse 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. John chapter 8, verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Um, In Hebrews chapter 11, Paul recounts a history of spiritual progress. And it's very clear that all spiritual progress is built upon faith, the faith to act. We have so many examples from Moses um, building the ark before it was raining. Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and on and on. The Lord works by faith. If we exercise faith, miracles will happen. Zion's establishment is no different. Um, it's certainly not going to be easy, right? So if you want to be a part of this phase of restoration, faith and sacrifice will definitely be required. Um, to finish, there's been a number of modern prophets discuss this idea of separation um, into the wilderness. And um, let's see here. In Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 88, it says, And after your testimony cometh wrath and indignation upon the people. For after your testimony cometh the testimony of earthquakes. So that kind of sets a cadence, right, for a second coming timeline. It doesn't begin with the earthquakes. It doesn't begin with the volcanoes. It doesn't begin with the destruction. It actually begins with testimony. Testimony being shared, missionary work being done. Um, And then once that testimony is rejected, that is what triggers um, all of these terrible things before the great day of the coming of the Lord. I'll continue in Doctrine and Covenants section 88. Um, So yeah, so for after your testimony cometh the testimony of earthquakes that shall cause groanings in the midst of her and men shall fall upon the ground and shall not be able to stand. And also cometh the testimony of the voice of thunderings and the voice of lightnings and the voice of tempests and the voice of the waves of the sea heaving themselves beyond their bounds and all things shall be in commotion and surely men's hearts shall fail them for fear shall come upon all people. Brigham Young said, When the testimony of the elders ceases to be given, and the Lord says to them, Come home, I will now preach my own sermons to the nations of the earth. All you now know can scarcely be called a preface to the sermon that will be preached with fire and sword, tempests, earthquakes, hail, rain, thunderings, and lightnings, and fearful destruction. You will hear of magnificent cities now idolized by the people sinking in the earth, entombing the inhabitants. The sea will heave itself beyond its bounds, engulfing mighty cities. Famine will spread over the nations, and nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and states against states, in our own country and in foreign lands. And they will destroy each other caring not for the blood and lives of their neighbors, of their families, or for their own lives. They will be like the Jaredites who preceded the Nephites upon this continent and will destroy each other to the last man. 
through the anger that the devil will place in their hearts because they have rejected the words of life and are given over to Satan to do whatever he listeth to do with them. That Brigham Young quote is from the Journal of Discourses, um, book 8 on page 23. Elder Parley P. Pratt adds in the Journal of Discourses, book 3, page 135, Now when the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, there will be an uprooting of their governments and institutions and of their civil, political, and religious polity. There will be a shaking of nations, a downfall of empires, an upturning of thrones and dominions. As Daniel has foretold, and the kingdom and power and rule of the earth will return to another people and exist under another political party, as Daniel has further foretold. Um, To everything, there's a time and a season. Empires rise and fall as fragile institutions prove unfit for eternity. Moroni was shown a vision in the year 401 AD of future Gentiles inhabiting the American continent. He wrote, But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know your doing, and I know that ye do walk in the pride of your hearts. And there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying and strifes and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, even every one have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. Look, you read all this stuff and on some level it's pretty depressing and it can produce a lot of anxiety. But there are windows of light, you know, like we can all use our agency to make the choice to not fall in to those traps, right? To not be lifted up in the pride of our hearts, Um, envying, strifes, avoid malice, avoid persecution, all manner of iniquities. Um, We do not, we do have the choice not to get caught up in the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. We can choose one choice, right? One holy place that can save us from all of that. And that is to stand firmly with the people of one heart and one mind, Zion. Um, In closing, I think um, after Zion separates into the wilderness, after the testimonies cease to be given, and the Lord starts to testify in a different way, to compel the inhabitants of earth unto repentance. Um, There will be a desolating sickness. Doctrine and Covenants section 45 says, And when the times of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. But they receive it not. Right. So as soon as the man-child Zion is born... Um, Satan seeks to devour it and the people just reject it like as an infant. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because uh, I just saw, you know, Disney Plus just came out and they have the new Mandalorian and my kids are trying to get me to watch it and there's this baby Yoda. And I'm just thinking that even in that show, it's like this baby Yoda who has all this power of the force inside of him. Uh, You know, people are trying to destroy it, even as an infant. But anyway, um, 
<sighs> Star Wars, man. I never watched Star Wars until I married Kelly. She converted me over. Now all my kids are so excited for each episode. I watch it with them, and you know what? I've actually started to enjoy it. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's continue with this quote from DNC section 45. Let's see, uh, where were we? So, um, it shall be the fullness of my gospel, but they receive it not. For they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, and there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge. For a desolating sickness shall cover the land, but my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. But among the wicked, men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations. Desolating sickness represents vengeance. Doctrine and Covenants 97 says, For behold and lo, vengeance shall, uh, vengeance cometh speedily upon the ungodly as the whirlwind. And who shall escape it? The Lord's scourge shall pass over by night and by day, and the report thereof shall vex all people. Yea, it shall not be stayed until the Lord come. For the indignation of the Lord is kindled against their abominations and all their wicked works. Nevertheless, Zion shall escape if she observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her. But if she observe not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her according to all her works with sore affliction, with pestilence, with plague, with sword, with vengeance, with devouring fire. That relates to Neil A. Maxwell's quote, right? Do not be vexed by the city apart. There is a time um, in the Lord's wisdom for him to separate his people. And in DNC 97, it says, Zion shall escape if she observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her. But if she observe not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her to all of her works. Because the truth is nobody's perfect. We're not saying that Zion is perfect. We're just saying that Zion are the penitent, right? They are the meek. And the Lord will bless and preserve them as long as they're obedient and they repent. Interestingly enough, the beginning of this desolating sickness is prophesied to begin within the Lord's house. DNC 112, verse 24 through 26 says, Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin. And from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Peter confirms this troubling doctrine. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, 
It says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Concerning the specifics of divine wrath, we turn to some visions. And I'll finish uh, this podcast with these three visions. The first is from Joseph Smith in 1833, as recorded in the History of the Church, section 1 on page 312. It says, And now I am prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ that not many years shall pass away before the United States shall present such a scene of bloodshed as has not a parallel in the history of our nation. Pestilence, hail, famine, and earthquake will sweep the wicked of this generation from off the face of the land to open and prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel from the north country. Repent ye, repent ye, and embrace the everlasting covenant, and flee to Zion before the overflowing scourge overtakes you. I mean, can this stuff be more clear? It's like, I feel like sometimes these compilations that come together for these podcasts, it blows my mind um, how specific the Lord can be through the mouths of his prophets. Um, John Taylor had a dream, and I'll just quote one line from it. He said, I was immediately in Salt Lake City, wandering about the streets. On the door of every house, I found a badge of mourning. There was a patriarch named Charles D. Evans who recorded a similar vision in 1894. I don't know. I mean, this has never been... I haven't done enough research to know if this dream by Charles Evans has been discredited or not. Or, and I haven't heard any corroboration from other prophets, but nevertheless, I'll still share it. He said, A purple spot which appeared on the cheek or on the back of the hand and which invariably enlarged until it spread over the entire surface of the body, producing certain death. This plague in grown persons rotted the eyes in the sockets and consumed the tongue as would a powerful acid. Patriarch Evans mentioned that in due time, the plague began to abate in the mountain region where it first began. Um, I guess there is some corroboration with it because... This vision actually fits the Lord's narrative um, as described in Doctrine and Covenants section 29, verses 15 through 20. And it says, And there shall be weeping and wailing among the hosts of men, and there shall be a great hailstorm sent forth to destroy the crops of the earth. And it shall come to pass, because of the wickedness of the world, that I will take vengeance upon the wicked." For they will not repent, for the cup of mine indignation is full. For behold, my blood shall not cleanse them if they hear me not. Wherefore, I, the Lord God, will send forth flies upon the face of the earth, which shall take hold of the inhabitants thereof, and shall eat their flesh, and shall cause maggots to come in upon them. And their tongues shall be stayed, that they shall not utter against me. And their flesh shall fall from off of their bones, and their eyes from their sockets. And it shall come to pass that the beasts of the forest and the fowls of the air shall devour them up. Closed quote. Look, in summary, um, let's just keep it simple. Choose Zion. 
allow the principles of the celestial kingdom as manifest in Zion into your life. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have partaken in historic events of the Restoration. But as Dieter F. Uchtdorf says, um, you know, those, the Restoration is ongoing. It wasn't just Joseph Smith and the first vision. Um, it's so much more, and it's continuing today. In his conference address at the October 2019 uh, General Conference, um, Dieter Uchtdorf uh, opened his talk with a story from The Hobbit. And his, you know, that's The Hobbit is the first one to have the ring that was made famous in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And the wizard Gandalf went to find The Hobbit because he knew he needed The Hobbit uh, to carry this ring, you know. The Hobbit had the necessary humility, the necessary gifts uh, to be able to fulfill this mission, whereas a lot of other people didn't. Um, Elder Uchtdorf's message was simple. All of us have been sent to earth for a purpose. And even though, just like this Hobbit, we would prefer to sit comfortably in the friendly confines of our homes and neighborhoods, uh, which in The Hobbit, it was the Shire. We'd all like to sit in these friendly confines forever. But there is a time when the Lord calls, and that is a time to obey and to join the cause of the restoration. Um, in the story of The Hobbit, you know, after some convincing by Gandalf, The Hobbit decided to leave the Shire, and he went on to have an incredible adventure. Well... This will be the same story for all of those who participate in the fleeing of Zion into the wilderness and all of those who are part of establishing and restoring, you know, proper governance that is more in line with the principles of King David, who was able to bring everybody together and which is, you know, in stark contrast to the governance that we see in global politics today. So have no fear, trust in the Lord, know his doctrines, and then have the courage and the faith to act on it.